Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. We imagine a future. And our imaginings horrify us. They won't fear it. Until they understand it. And they won't understand it. Until they've used it. Theory will take you only so far. With such a weapon. But we have no choice. Excerpts from the movie Oppenheimer. This film is about the making of the atomic bomb and about the man who is at the forefront of making that atomic bomb. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Pastor Ted Geese joins us to review the movie Oppenheimer. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, this film, ironically, like the one we reviewed before, Barbie, is dividing critics too. Why? One thing with this Oppenheimer film is that it's really long. It's about a three-hour long movie and it's a lot of material to digest. Christopher Nolan is playing with time. So people who saw Dunkirk, uh, as they were watching it, if they were picking up on it, they'll notice that like, it seemed like there was a narrative, like straightforward narrative plot happening, but things were happening at different times and eventually they all kind of coalesce on a moment. So he's been playing with time all the way back to his film Memento uh, with Guy Pearce and Carrie Ann Moss back in 2000. He's been doing stuff with, like, kind of playing around with all this stuff. And the movie Tenet that we talked about in, from 2020. You know, he's been doing all of this kind of stuff. With this, there's a number of different plot lines that they're f- flipping back and forward between. And it's a lot to digest. So I think that that is uh, one of these kinds of things that people can kind of have a hard time with as they're watching it. It seems like maybe this is kind of a movie where it could have been two films. The story that's being told here, you could split it up because there's kind of a pre-World War II, during World War II atomic bomb related story. And then there's the post-World War II after the atomic bomb has been produced, Cold War story. There's these two different stories. So you could have made two films out of it. This isn't exactly the same, but Clint Eastwood made Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers and released them the same year. And they were telling the Pacific theater of battle story from two different points of view. 
And with this film, you might have been able to have just not really told it from two different points of view exactly. Maybe you could, but you could have taken that post, like the Cold War stuff, had it over here, and the World War II, pre-World War II stuff, and had it over here. And I think because he puts all of this together and interweaves all of this, it becomes a lot for people to digest. And it's also extraordinarily heavy. It's like a really heavy film. It's kind of, um, I would say, like the anti-Big Bang theory kind of a thing. Like Big Bang theory, they're quantum physicists and they're all goofing around and silly and dumb. This is super serious. There's no goofing around with this. So it's a heavy topic. It's a big topic. It's a lot to digest. And also it's a biopic film about Oppenheimer, but it digs into character in a way that it's, it's getting at all of his philandering and his difficulty with the people around him. He's an anti-hero, maybe an anti-hero. And that's something that people have a hard time grappling with. I think too. So like, those are all kind of things that people might find challenging about this film. How would you describe the plot? Like I said, it's a biopic following the story of the American physicist, Robert Oppenheimer. And it's important that he's an American physicist because during the world war two war efforts, the American government didn't want to have a European physicist as the head of the project. They wanted to have an American as the head of the project. So he's working in the field of theoretical quantum physics, and he's got this role that's given to him to develop the atomic bomb. It also covers his kind of entanglements as a Jewish American with communist leanings, I guess, or connections to the Communist Party leading up to World War II, and how that then later impacts his life and career during the McCarthy era scrutiny of suspected communists during World War II. So all of that stuff is going on, plus all of his relationships with various other physicists and with uh, the women in his life, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of what the film is dealing with, and then also dealing with what does it mean once the atomic bomb is something that exists and has been used? So talk about Christopher Nolan, obviously a legend in Hollywood. Yeah, he's um, has quite a storied career. A lot of people might know him from the Dark Knight trilogy that he, he made with Christian Bale as Batman. He also made a film called Interstellar, with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. And, you know, really an interesting director. Just digs into some very interesting things through his career. And he seems to have very high concept films that he's able to kind of bring into maybe a popular audience. So you get uh, maybe some comparisons. He kind of maybe comes across a little bit as somebody kind of like Stanley Kubrick, let's say. And definitely he's got his his interest and he really presents things in a, a very detail-oriented way. And with this film, there's so much detail thrown at you that you feel like you have to watch it maybe in 10-minute segments and then go away and read a chapter in a book every time you kind of progress to the next thing. Of all of his films, I would say one thing, and this kind of gets back to your first question, is that this film is kind of, it's about a really interesting and dramatic moment in American history, but it kind of comes across kind of sometimes kind of boring. And 
that's not great. There's times where I felt in the theater, I felt the runtime and it kind of was felt dragging. There was a really great part in the middle, but I felt like it was kind of like, he didn't have some of the stuff that his previous films had in terms of pacing and just the, the overall kind of end product. One little side thing there too is he has a guy who he does, he has done lots of movies with. This is uh, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, the composer, he did The Prestige, The Dark Knight Trilogy, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception with Nolan. But then he passed on the movie Tenet to go work with Denis Villeneuve to do the Dune films. So as a result, there's this Ludwig Garnson, who's the composer who did The Mandalorian music. He did the Black Panther films, and he also worked with Nolan on Tenet. And he's doing the music here, but I found all of the orchestral music, all of the music that was included, a lot of times it was very grating because most of this movie is just people in rooms talking, and sometimes you needed it to be silent, and it was overproduced when it came to the music. So these are just some general thoughts about Nolan as a director. And when you know that he's such an attention-to-detail guy and some things like this kind of start to show up, then some people can say, well, is this self-indulgence? Does he not have enough people around him saying, hey, you might want to rethink about this, or here's an edge that you should be working inside, or whatever. So those are just some thoughts about Christopher Nolan. He's, I enjoy his films. I think he's very interesting. This was probably one of the harder watches for me to watch of his films. So how do you build, in telling the story of the development of the first atomic bomb, how do you build tension when everyone knows how it came out? And the kind of tension that, I've read several books on this and the kind of tension that the scientific community that were in on the project dealt with on a daily basis. And that is they were proceeding really entirely in the area of theory, trying to develop something that would eventually reach critical mass. And it was uncharted territory. They did not know sometimes what the next step would be. And they certainly did not know what the outcome would be. I think you move the tension off of that. And you move the tension onto the, the story of his life. And this whole notion of him being cozy with communists, sometimes like there's a Florence Pugh plays a, a lady that he's had an ongoing affair with who is a communist party member in the United States. Um, and this comes back to bite him. All of that post-war, Cold War, McCarthy era stuff is you ask the question because maybe not everybody like you has read books and books about it. You ask the question, you know, like, well, how is this going to turn out for him? Like, you know, that the atomic bomb happened, but maybe you don't know all the details about Oppenheimer's life. Does he remain a hero afterwards? What kind of hero is he? The very beginning of the film, the very first thing that you see up on the screen is this quote, it says, Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man. For this, he was chained to a rock and tortured for eternity. So it's like, is Oppenheimer going to be that Prometheus? Or does he have a different fate with all of it? You play against that tension, I think. Also, because they're dealing with his philandering, you know, he's married to Kitty Oppenheimer is played by Emily Blunt. He's married to her. He's still having an affair. You inject a bunch of other drama into it. His drama with other physicists, like with 
Albert Einstein, played by Tom Conti, you know, with Niels Bohr, you know, who's played by Kenneth Branagh. You bring some of that stuff into it, his own personal issues. You bring those things in because he he's not, not a good guy and people seem to know it, but he's brilliant, so they give him a pass on a bunch of things that maybe they shouldn't. If he was not so brilliant, people would have called him on things. So I think that's where you bring in all of it. And then the question is, you've got like this, that Cold War stuff all going on. And there's one particular person kind of connected to all of this is, uh, I think his name is Leslie Straub. Uh, there's a lot of names thrown around in this, played by Robert Downey Jr. And he's going through a Senate cabinet position hearing to see if he's going to be approved. And the question is, is that going to happen? Does he get approved? Does he not get approved? If he didn't get approved, why? And how does Oppenheimer fit into all of this? That's all part of the unfolding story that goes around the atomic bomb stuff. And that's where your a lot of your drama is. Unfortunately, if you're expecting the drama to be around specifically the atomic bomb stuff, that isn't always the upfront part of the drama. So, you know, you were mentioning this idea that they didn't 100% know what was going to happen when they tested that atomic bomb for the first time. And that also is a bit of a point of tension and drama in it. Of course, we live on the other side of that test, so we know that the thing that they were most worried about didn't end up happening. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest reviewing the movie Oppenheimer. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. How technical is Oppenheimer? We'll answer that question next. I think satire and humor are worth defending. I think free speech is worth defending, and I think it's a tool that we need to use in the church. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Humor is our tool. Humor is something that God created. The left just co-opted it for all the terrible comedies and stuff that you see and all the vulgar stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's ours, and we're going to reclaim it. And I think that's one of the, one of the missions of the Babylon Bee. The left wants to take down humor. The left demands that things that mock them and point out how ridiculous they are being get torn down. But we're just going to keep answering that with more and more humor. And I think it starts here. It starts in the church. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. You can watch and listen to a recording of Kyle Mann's presentation, Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, from this year's Making the Case Conference. For a donation of $300, you can download an audio and video recording. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Nestled near the spectacular Santa Catalina Mountains in sunny Tucson, Arizona, Catalina Lutheran Church is home to confessional law and gospel preaching and Bible teaching. Join those whom God calls and gathers to receive his gifts for his divine service to us Sundays and Wednesdays and Bible studies most days of the week. Find us on the web at CatalinaLutheran.org. CatalinaLutheran.org. 
truth-centered mission outreach. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday, August the 4th, we're reviewing the movie Oppenheimer. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. So, Ted, how technical is this film? It's a very complicated project they undertook to create the atom bomb. Do they show technicians piling up bricks of uranium or removing control rods? Well, yeah. I mean, they're going to show some of that stuff. There's a lot of math on, like, you know, arithmetic up on the chalkboards and on pieces of paper and stuff. And they look at it and they can like, oh, they can read that just like you can read the telephone book. Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in it. There's there's bits and pieces of conversations that are quite technical. It gives the impression that it's all very grounded and accurate. Also, like all of the industrial design and like the clothing, costuming, everything is so grounded. It gives a real, real world feel to the whole entire film. So yeah, no, there's a lot of that, but like I said, the drama really is in all this interpersonal stuff in his own existential crisis about maybe making this bomb and what that would mean afterwards. And like for him, it's that question about like, well, I don't trust the atomic bombs in the hands of Nazis because of the way Hitler thinks about Jewish people. So like that's all going on in this too. And the other character is Heisenberg who shows up a little bit in his Werner Heisenberg, who is the German counterpart to Oppenheimer. And they're kind of in a bit of a race to try to get to building this bomb. But Heisenberg, I guess, is dragging his feet for a couple of different reasons. He doesn't like the way Hitler treats Jewish people, and he doesn't want them to have the bomb, maybe. So like, this is stuff that you might know about watching the film, but Heisenberg is in there too. Like they really put a lot of stuff in here. The thing that has great restraint, I mean, like it can't be a longer movie is they don't show a bunch of Nazis in like SS uniforms and like Hitler isn't a character sitting around a table getting phone calls from Heisenberg. Like there's none of that stuff going on in this movie. You know, you don't see the emperor of Japan or you don't see it like Nagasaki or any of that kind of Hiroshima. You don't see that stuff. All that stuff happens, but it's off screen. It's not there. So that's all kind of part of what's going on in this film. What would you say the worldview is? Well, this is kind of an interesting thing. I I think like it gets into this kind of scientific worldview. 
But even within the scientific worldview, and people might not be super familiar with this, is there's kind of two different views when it comes to physics. So you have the Copenhagen interpretation that's all about thinking about quantum mechanics in terms of probabilities. And then you have Einstein's theory of relativity, which is more focused on some certainties. So one questions the reality of things until it is measured. So like, we don't even know if something's real until we can measure it. And the other one, the theory of relativity kind of presupposes that there's certain things that are true, uh, whether you have measured them or not, and that th those things exist under the fabric of stuff that you can like, identify and measure. So there's this kind of back and forth between the idea of certainty and probability. And, and really, this comes up, and I kind of alluded to this, surrounding that question about what's going to happen when the atomic bomb test is detonated. So Leslie Groves, who's a, the military kind of advisor looking over the Manhattan Project, played by Matt Damon, he says to Oppenheimer, are you saying that there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Because the whole idea is maybe it just, the chain reaction just keeps going and the whole atmosphere burns off, right? So Oppenheimer says, the chances are near zero. And Grove says near zero. And Oppenheimer says, what do you want from theory alone? Grove says zero would be nice. So you can see there that tension between the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity. And this is where even in the film you get Einstein gets approached by Oppenheimer because his theory provides some certainty. And it's like, well, we have these equations. We might burn off the atmosphere here. Can you take a look at them? So this is in there. So really it's the worldview is it's not just an existential crisis for Oppenheimer, but it's kind of like an existential crisis within science in terms of what does the world really like? So that is in terms of like the, the measurable physicality or undergirding principles of, of everything around us. All of that is kind of in this film too. That's pretty heavy duty stuff to be uh, dealing with as a film goer. But Christopher Nolan wants to present that uh, to all of us as a question. Does it have a religious point of view or does it entertain religious points of view? Well, there's a couple things that kind of crop up along the way. So there's the famous quote, now I become death, the destroyer of worlds that Oppenheimer uh, says, you know, in connection with the atomic bomb. And this is from Hindu sacred text, uh, the Bhagavad Vita. And that shows up at a couple different times in the film. So you get this idea that he's got some Jewish background, he's interested in Hinduism. When they go to build the little town, he's like, you got to put a church in there and we got to invite the families along or you're not going to get the best scientists. And when they're at the test site, Los Alamos test site, the Groves asks, you know, what do we call the test? And Oppenheimer says, batter my heart, three-personed God. What? He says, Trinity. So there are nods to events that took place, things that were said that have the fingerprints of Christian content or religious content on them. You know, at one point, Kitty Oppenheimer, played by Emily Blunt, goes and says to him, you don't get to commit sin and then ask all of us to feel sorry for you when there are consequences. So there's a sense that the existential crisis also is not completely devoid of a spiritual crisis as well. But if you want to think of the spiritual crisis related stuff to his character, it's more like that's riding shotgun and not with its hands on the wheel.
So what are your pastoral concerns about this film? Like I said, this is an anti-hero. At least that's the way he's presented. I, I, like, I don't know if maybe Nolan wants it to be a sympathy for the devil kind of a thing, or at least to acknowledge the complexities of this, this individual. But this is not a guy who people should be... It's very hard. So that did help definitively end the war, the atomic bomb. But the way the film presents it, it's as though the, the war was already ending and they didn't really actually need to use the atomic bomb. So it's very complicated and it would not be a good idea to categorize him as a hero necessarily, or at least not the way that he's presented here and not morally. He's not a moral hero. He's not a spiritual hero. At one point, you know, he takes an apple on the desk of when he's an undergrad student or you know grad student studying in England he takes an apple and he takes a syringe and he puts poison in that apple which calls into question whether he has enough sanity or not <laughs> that could kill his instructor this is a, a very dark character so that's a pastoral concern also I would say the film has got lots uh, to say about guilt by association so the question, was he, was he not really communist? If, even if he was, was he a committed communist? What does it mean to, to be associated with people who do or don't share your beliefs? That's a question that should come up and people should be thinking about watching the film. Also, Albert Einstein, it shows up this quote about him saying that, that he's convinced that God doesn't throw dice regarding the universe. That quote shows up at a couple points in this film because Einstein's kind of like in the background of all of this and a character. I think that that criticism about just like chance and probability and then d digging into the idea of like what really is truth and whose hand is behind everything here. I would say a pastoral concern is to watch this film and just not contemplate like the first article of the Apostles' Creed. You know, like, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Who is it who has made all of this? Is it something like Einstein would be more in agreement with the idea of that you discover how it was made? Or is it like a pure probability? Like, this is something that people should like, when they walk away from it, like, what is it that you believe about all of this? Don't fail in grappling with that. We are reviewing the movie Oppenheimer with Pastor Ted Geese. When we come back, he says the two movies we reviewed today, Barbie and Oppenheimer, are more alike than they are different. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. 
To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. birthday to the U.S. Coast Guard, established on this date in 1790. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces supports all Lutheran Church Missouri Synod chaplains who serve on active duty in the reserves, the National Guard, Civil Air Patrol, and the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Find out about their service at lcms.org slash armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We're reviewing the movies Barbie and Oppenheimer. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. Can you say that these two films, Barbie and Oppenheimer, are more alike than they are different? What do you mean by that? Well, this is a really, I, I think, a really bizarre thing. Like, there's no way on earth that these two films were intended to be, like, way back in the inception of all of this, like when they were first being planned. The idea that they should both come out on the same weekend and they should both be in the theaters at the same time, I'm sure this was not in the minds of anybody. This is maybe spooky action at a distance, you know, in terms of quantum mechanics. So there's there's all these kind of weird connections. So for instance, let's just kind of go back and forth. Barbie and Oppenheimer. So both Barbie and the character of Oppenheimer in these two films are in the midst of existential crisis. Barbie has thoughts of death. Oppenheimer, I have become death. There's also this kind of two worlds and the effects that these two worlds have on each other. Oppenheimer at the beginning of the film is like kind of envisioning or having visions of the atomic world and like what things look like or how that might be represented. But you've got the real world and you have the atomic world. In the Barbie film, you have Barbie land, Kendom, and the real world. And these places have impact on each other. There's a question at one point in the Barbie film where a guy kind of like in a gray cubicle at the bottom of like the basement of Mattel who ends up in the corporate boardroom asks, you know, like, is Barbie land a real place or is it in the realm of imagination? So is it, is it about probability or is it about certainty, right? Like this is kind of a question that's coming up both in Oppenheimer and in Barbie. The Mattel corporation is trying to control Barbie. The atomic energy commission is trying to control Oppenheimer. There's a weird duality where Robert Downey Jr.'s character Leslie Stroud is like, he becomes the villain towards Oppenheimer. Ken becomes the villain towards 
Barbie. You've got this uh, female lead with dysfunctional relationships with men and women, and you've got a male lead with dysfunctional relationships with men and women. There's all of these kind of weird surface attitudes too, like towards family and towards children. Like I'd mentioned with the Barbie film, you've got, you know, all the baby dolls being smashed and like the character of Midge who's pregnant and didn't we discontinue you? And in the Oppenheimer film, children show up, like babies show up, but they are always screaming and crying. Like nobody's having a good time with their children. I guess that's better for drama, I suppose, but it's, 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 uh, it's kind of funny that these kind of connections should be there. Also, there's an idea that Barbie changed the world. And then the question is, is the impact of this good or not? This is a question that is up for debate during the course of the Barbie film. And then in the Oppenheimer film, the A-bomb changes the world and Oppenheimer I guess, changes the world. And then is this up for debate? Within the film, it's up for debate. It's like, how good or bad is this? Is a question that literally gets asked along the way as well. So, and then also like the Barbie movie has such a high degree of attention to detail. The Oppenheimer film has such a high degree of attention to detail. The character of Barbie has like fashion sense in a uniform. The character of Oppenheimer has fashion sense in a uniform. This is kind of another bizarre part, is this kind of idea of apotheosis, where Barbie is changing into from a doll into a woman. And then Oppenheimer, in a way, you know, especially kind of bringing in that quote about I've become death, that's kind of connected back to Krishna and Vishnu within Hinduism. And then linking that back to that quote at the beginning about Prometheus, did he, by doing this, become something bigger than himself, like an apotheosis kind of a thing. That's all kind of going on back and forth between these films. And then on top of it, like the idea that there are two campaigns to promote these films have become so entangled and intertwined that when you're online, you might find mashups of characters from both films in posters and that it gets called Barbenheimer. It's just really a phenomena that probably wouldn't have happened if Oppenheimer came out in November and the Barbie film came out in July. Proximity of these two things together has kind of created this very bizarre thing, which also is encouraging people, unlikely audience people, like people you wouldn't think that they would have a common audience. And somehow there's the Barbenheimer challenge try to see both films in one day or with close proximity to each other. So you're really, you know, sitting in the theater and this is the one is pink and bright and colorful. And the other one is dark with lots of black and white and like kind of more morose, but there's all of these bizarre points of contact between the two of them. And they're kind of in a conversation with each other. And I think on top of that, it's kind of a dealing with the material world, you know, like if you bring into uh, these films, some knowledge of, of these topics from outside of the films, Barbie started as a doll in Germany and then was successfully reimagined, made and marketed in the United States. Oppenheimer is working against the clock against Heisenberg 
like to develop a nuclear bomb. So the, the ideas for nuclear bombs kind of almost started in Germany, but the Americans are the one that, that finish it. This is a lot of very weird coincidental stuff that, uh, you know, gets at the heart of like America at a particular time. And there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like, especially the Cold War related stuff, Cold War related period and the development and marketing of Barbie originally, they're also kind of like linked in time. So it's a very interesting set of coincidental things. These two films seem to be propping each other up. And then on top of all of that, how does it all kind of pan out? Well, Barbie was a $100 million budget, which, which is a lot, but already worldwide, it's grossed $795 plus million. So that's a huge 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 uh opening and uh box office for that uh, the opening was 162 uh, million dollars and then the oppenheimer film opening was 82 million dollars it also had a hundred million dollar budget and worldwide it's grossed 419 plus million dollars so these two films are profiting off of each other or they're being um propped up by each other or they're helping each other at the box office. And that's also kind of a really interesting part of all of this, because you wouldn't expect that this would be the case, but it is. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read his movie reviews at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thanks. Thank you. Luther Academy publishes the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, their latest publication, Theological Anthropology and Sin by Dr. Detlef Schultz, will be released in the next month. Learn more at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Chris Roseborough about the prosperity gospel. We'll continue our series responding to Roman Catholic proof text with Dr. Stephen Parks. And we'll visit with Dr. Richard Davenport, author of our book of the month, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. 
If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the divine service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom, Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.